Welcome to Inside the Rope, a podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Marty Rosser, the founder and portfolio manager of the Allium Market Neutral Fund that we last spoke to in October 19, which was episode 47. This is part of a series of podcasts that we're looking to put out in a more rapid fashion through the COVID-19 crisis that's currently gripping markets. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Marty about the Allium Market Neutral Fund that aims to produce a return of 10 to 15% per annum through the cycle. And it's through his ability to be both long and short that Marty's actually been able to produce a return of 4% month to date in March and up 7% in 2020 when markets have been very negative. Some of the themes that Marty's investing in that we discuss include being long in stay at home and then also being short in those type of companies that profit from people being out and about like shopping malls. We also discuss his view of the fiscal stimulus and how that's affecting investments, as well as talking about his outlook for markets. Please remember that this podcast isn't a recommendation of any one specific investment, and we encourage people to listen to the disclaimer at the end of the podcast, as well as seeking advice prior to making any investments. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I know I sure did. Marty Rosser, thanks for joining us again at Inside the Road. Thanks, David. It's good to be back. Just had to check I had you online then. Of course, uh, I'm joining you in some pretty extenuating circumstances with uh, Coda and myself all working from home, given the middle of the COVID, uh, not fully locked down yet in Sydney, Australia, but heading towards that way, it would seem. Um, A house full of um, people schooling from home, so we may get some noise in the background, excuse me, to to the listeners. Marty, perhaps you could kick off by giving us a summary of what you've seen happen in markets from your point of view uh, over the last four weeks or since about the 20th of February uh, when we saw this big change. Yes, so, I mean, it was probably even before then, late January, even early February, um, we're a global fund and so we do talk to to people over in, in Asia and in, in Hong Kong and, and China. And it probably was six to eight weeks ago when um, some news of that, uh, the virus breaking out in Wuhan came through. And uh, we saw that start to affect some of the stocks that were listed in Hong Kong and some of the travel stocks, some of the Ch- Chinese airlines started to underperform. Um, some of the, uh, Restaurant chains, there's hot pot chains that are listed in, in Hong Kong started to, to fall as attendance um, started to uh, decline. And at that point, we saw um, some of the even the Australian and global uh, leisure stocks start to start to underperform as well. For example, we had a long position in Qantas. We've, we've really... In, like that stock over the long term. We like experiences as a theme in terms of experiences over goods, but we recognised this uh, coronavirus potentially had some global implications. Um, you know, China was already closing off cities and closing down flights. So at that point, uh, we did close our uh, long leisure and airline positions. We closed 
Christmas um, early in early in February, um, and we then really responded to the news flow we saw at that point. So you know we saw images. Um, Australians weren't the first to hoard toilet paper, for example. Uh, it, that happened in Hong Kong a few weeks before, and we saw that that people were starting to um, to play what we call the stay at home. Um, trade where supermarkets, um, telcos, um, video game stocks started to outperform against those um, out of home um, type stocks that underperformed. So that was the initial way really responding to the news flow. We positioned our portfolio as well. Uh, we built up some long positions in stocks such as uh, Woolworths and Coles um, and Costco and Walmart in the US and uh, we underweighted and shorted that um, discretionary retail, travel and leisure part of the market. So I understand as you're standing at the moment that you're about 4% uh, up to the end of March and 7% up for the year to date, which is no mean feat given what we've seen happen to markets and, and a, a, a large sell-off. And, and I want to say, uh, you know, calendar year to date, you know, in, indexes around down around mid 30s sort of level. Um, so you know, congratulations for that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the major themes that you have running through the portfolio? So you, you talked about one being um, long stay at home and short out of out of home. That's right. So that that theme has um, has worked well in the portfolio. Um, we had some days when the supermarket type stocks, uh, the hoarding stocks maybe you can call them, were the only stocks up in the market on some of these um, brutal down days. Um, we did short some cruise lines, for example, and that was again when we saw um, a lot of the issues with some of those Carnival and Royal Caribbean cruise liners and the, um, and the breakouts of, of cases on board those. Uh, that was a way of uh, um, playing that out of home theme on the short side. The other thing that, that we recognised, and again, the experience of the GFC tells us this, when there's an economic shock, um, it is companies that, that have, a, have, a, have a lot of gearing or have thin margins, um, or to be honest, companies where you don't know exactly what's under the hood um, will underperform. You know, the market hates uncertainty in this kind of economic shock. So we also wanted to de-risk our portfolio, and that meant um, selling um, financials and financially geared companies and looking for those that we thought would be survivors um, longer term with good balance sheets, good cash flow and I'd use the, um, the large cap miners such as BHP as an example of those potential longer term winners. And you're shorting against that, uh, I believe, some non-bank financials and organisations where the credit isn't strong or the non-bank financials where they've got a high level of gearing. Is that correct? That's right. I mean, so, for example, some of the um, um, companies that do unsecured con unsecured consumer lending um, that aren't deposit taking banks um, and are required to fund it using the wholesale market rather than rather than using having a deposit base, we recognise those being risky. Um, a couple of those we actually were more positive on going into this. Um, you know, we have owned, for example, Afterpay. Uh, we had owned Afterpay for a while, but as we saw credit spreads rapidly deteriorate, um, 
we, we sold out of our position in Afterpay, as an example. And Marty, where do you get the sense of we are in the news flow of this issue and this global pandemic um, sweeping through the world? Okay, well, the, the first thing to be really aware of is this um, economic shock is not a result of a world war. It's not a result of a huge subprime lending crisis. It is um, a decision um, from governments uh, and their, their medical advisors to shut down economies um, to save lives. And as a result, the catalyst to um, send markets and economies growing again is, is actually when governments decide that the worst is over and to restart their economies. Um, and so this does lend it the potential to have some kind of um, V-shaped recovery rather than the, the slower sort of U-shaped recovery that we've seen in, in, in the longer term. Um, now, the performance of markets, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, a lot of them are down 25 to 30%. We're in bear market territory. Um, it's interesting to note the last few days we've seen a rally um, in markets. This is consistent with the, the, some of the rebounds and bounces you get in this kind of um, economic shock. There are two potential scenarios. Scenario one is, is where the global shutdowns are coordinated um, and in the next month or six weeks, we do see a flattening off of cases. And then as President Trump has even alluded to, we do see some kind of restart of global economies, who knows, maybe late April, early May. And I think in that scenario, you know, we may have already seen the bottom or close to the bottom in global equity markets. In the protracted scenario, which is um, cases keep coming back, pockets keep coming back, and governments decide to be prudent and keep their economies um, um, stopped or very slow, then there's going to be a lot more um, uh, unemployment and, and defaults and, and credit events in the market over that period of time. That's the bear case scenario, the prolonged um, shutdown. I think one of the things that you recently called out as an indicator of where we're in this cycle is perhaps looking at the level of sell-offs um, and retail clients exiting the market and what's happened to the ETF uh, area of the market. Do you perhaps want to comment on that for our listeners, please? Yeah, I do think the, um, the level of volatility in the market may start to decline, even if markets haven't necessarily hit their lows. And one of the reasons is we actually have started to see um, a de-risking both by funds and by retail. Um, retail investors are often big holders of ETFs. It's, it is the default and often the low cost way to get into equities through an ETF. And it's also an extremely liquid way to, to get in and out of equities. And so those flows can, can drive the underlying share market quite a lot. Now, last week, um, we saw in the US um, quite a lot of redemptions by uh, or selling of ETFs, exchange-traded funds by, by retail investors, and that was a sign that that end of the market is de-risking. Now, when you get that, that sell-off or capitulation, you could call it, it often does coincide with either a market bottom or certainly a, a stabilisation in markets. And I think it may be no coincidence that actually we are seeing a little bit more stability in markets, at least um, this week as I speak. And Marty, you talk about that stability in markets and only uh, this week we saw Cochlear 
go to the market and recapitalize the business, do you think it's likely that uh, a lot of businesses around the world are going to delever and therefore uh, try to recapitalize their businesses and that may provide a floor of stability um, under the market? Yes, I think so. I think um, a lot of companies will notice, uh, well, firstly, Cochlear's uh, raising seems to have gone quite well. The shares were very strong in the market today. And, and that probably gives um, a lot of comfort to those large corporations that think, well, why wouldn't I raise a little bit of cash to see me through the next six to nine months should that bear case I talked about eventuate? And should I wish to emerge in 2021 with still enough capital to run my business into a, into the next phase of growth. So I think you will see a lot of um, capital raisings from companies um, and, and Cochlear potentially today has even shown it's probably, it's better to be early than late to do that. And Marty, what's your opinion of the quantum of the stimulus and the reaction by governments around the world, do you think that's going to be adequate or do you think we're going to see more of it? Um, can, can I get you to comment on that, please? Yes, so, I mean, the, I think the central banks have probably done all they can. I mean, they've, they've basically said whatever it takes and so they're throwing maximum liquidity at the situation, probably more liquidity um, being given to markets than we even saw during most of the, most of the GFC. Um, governments seem to have taken the view that because they have effectively in some way engineered this, um, this shutdown, that they will support um, individuals and small businesses as much as they can. But again, even government's pockets aren't infinitely deep. So the question is, the longer it drags on, uh, the more unemployment will rise, um, the more businesses will be um, gone forever um, and not re able to reopen. Um, so it really is a question of time. I think in the short term, um, the market is potentially saying again in the last few days that they recognise that there has been the right um, monetary and fiscal response from, from governments and central banks. So, Marty, what, what's an example of some of these stocks that have been absolutely hammered that you're happy to buy? Yep, so I mentioned earlier on in the in the podcast that um, you know we'd sold Qantas because we reckon recognized that you know the airlines would would suffer under this um, under this shutdown. But if you look at a company like Qantas, um, it is a dominant, you could almost um, say a monopoly carrier domestically in Australia. Um, it has a very loyal um, customer base and it has uh, managed to both sort of cut costs and and raise some more finance into this event. Um, we have been buying back into Qantas over the last week. I mean, it's fallen from you know, $7 to, to below $3. And it could be a company that will emerge um, stronger from this event. I don't think people will suddenly turn around next year if there is an, a, a vaccine or um, if the immediate threat is over and say, we don't want to travel anymore. Travel, I think, is something that people want to do. Um, it represents pent-up demand and Qantas um, will emerge you know, stronger into, into 2021. Marty, what's your view of financials and the banks? So I'm, I'm less constructive at the moment on banks and financials in general because that unknown of what kind of um, bad debt formation there will be um, following this event 
will linger for a while. Um, a couple of things have happened as well. Of course, most banks um, generally try and make money on their deposits in a zero interest rate environment, which is likely to stick around for, for two to three years at least to come. Um, banks' net interest margins have been permanently damaged or, or damaged in the medium term um, by this event. And then on top of that, you will get these, uh, these bad debts coming through. The end result could easily be that the banks themselves have to do capital raisings and cut their dividends. Those events could be the catalyst to buy. But in the meantime, I feel the banks have really only fallen in line with the earnings degradation that has really happened already over the last couple of months. And Marty, summing up before we, we leave, what sort of overarching advice would you have for investors who are managing a sort of diversified portfolio um, in this environment? I think very short term, I would say, you know, pick the stocks that have good cash generation in the medium to long term. I mentioned BHP, I mentioned longer term for Qantas um, and, and pick your levels to buy them. Don't um, put it all on, on day one. There will be volatility in the market. I think actually just making sure you buy on a down day because the down days can be down five, seven percent, just as the up days can be up by similar magnitude. Averaging in on down days in the market is, is actually a really good place to start. Um, there will be plenty of those, um, just as there'll be plenty of, uh, of, of rallies in the market. Um, overall, I would hold back from, from buying um, financials or any company where the business model, or as I said, what is under the hood is, is unclear. Um, but for those industrial companies um, that have good cash generation over the long term, I'm happy to, to step in and start to buy them now. Actually, I told a fib, Marty, I do have another question that's come to mind, and that's regarding REITs and the property sector. There almost seems to be an announcement by the government that it's okay not to pay rent and that landlords can afford that. Um, and I guess a lot of those landlords have borrowings underpin them and it becomes quite dire for them. Uh, have you looked at any of those REITs or formed an opinion about what sort of conditions they're going to have? Mm -hmm. Good question. I, I do have a view and that is uh, to stay, in general, to stay away from REITs for the time being. Um, I do think there is, even if a spoken or unspoken um, agreement between governments and business to help small business and um, both debt and rent forgiveness could be part of that. I noticed that I think Premier Investment, they won't pay rent while their stores are closed. Um, that trend could extend to a lot of other um, tenants, particularly of the shopping mall um, REITs and the shopping mall landlords. So I'd be very careful that, that REITs, just like the banks, will need to, to recapitalise. And longer term, one of the themes I'm thinking about is how does behaviour actually change um, post this coronavirus, post this event? Do people actually feel more comfortable working at home? We've all been going out and buying all our tech so we can work from home. Maybe some of us won't actually ever return to the office. So I'm, I'm a bit cautious on, on office um, as a theme uh, in terms of landlords, uh, shops. I mean, certainly the online vendors, you've seen Amazon's outperformed, for example. People um, like Zoom. And people like Zoom who we're using right now. Um, so there is going to be a change in behaviour. How permanent and lasting it will be, I don't know. But I think 
it will, might be slower to recover than you think, and that will be to the detriment of those um, those big property landlords. I think you're right. People are going to work out that the alternatives like Zoom, rather than flying to Melbourne for a meeting, uh, they can actually achieve what they want to via a Zoom meeting, and people are going to stay with that. Just as you know, there's a little company called Realtor that um, it did 200 online auctions on the weekend, and with the auction business closing down, um, you know, all of a sudden people who need to sell houses want to do it via auction, um, can do it via an online system. So I, I, I imagine that some people in the future are still going to have that as an option versus people in rooms or on site. So uh, I think you're right that there may well be some uh, changes that stick in a, a more long-term fashion. Mm. Marty, thank you very much for your time. It's been fantastic. I appreciate it very much given how busy things are at the moment and the volatility going on in markets to be able to spare us this time in this conversation. Our uh, listeners really value it. So thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks very much, David. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.